Okay, friends, the story begins. We are on the bottom of page 53. And although we said last week we're concluding the Amida, it's not true. This week we are going to continue concluding the Amida. What we've concluded last week was the 19 brachas of the Amida, the 19 blessings that the Amida is comprised of. But then there's this last paragraph. It's not a bracha, it's not a blessing, and it was actually la added later, after the original compilation of the Amida, hundreds of years later. So the Amida was, again, compiled by Ezra and his court shortly after the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash. Right, let's say roughly uh, 2,500 years ago, 2,300 years ago, roughly, right? The, the base of Mikdash was destroyed. There's no more sacrifices. There's no more feeling of spirituality in the air as there once was. So we need a format, a structure to articulate ourselves to God and to actually make sure we show up and actually talk to God because <laughs> who knows if it's going to happen otherwise. Um, and who knows if we're going to have the, the head for it and the heart for it, right? So Ezra compiled the 18 or really 19 blessings. 18 and one of them were added later. Hundreds of years later, the age of the Talmud, which is probably 1,700 years ago, uh, less, 1,500 years ago. So six, 700 years after the compilation of the Amidah, this last paragraph made its way into the Siddur. And actually, if you look in the Talmud, Tractate Brachus, there were various traditions as to what was actually stated. <laughs> and there's a list of like, because really what it was is you had different sages and the Talmud records their own personal supplications that they would kind of offer to God at the end of the Amidah. Their own personal conversation they would offer to God after the Amidah. And there's a dozen of them, probably, around a dozen of them. Different uh, prayers. What people, Some would pray for peace. Some of the sages would pray for clarity. Some, they would pray for different things. And the final one was actually this one, and that became the accepted tradition over the past uh, many, many centuries, to recite this supplication before uh, to God, right? My God, guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceitfully. Let my soul be silent to those who curse, curse me. Let my soul be as dust to all. We'll discuss this soon. Open my heart to your Torah and let my soul eagerly pursue your commandments. Right? This somehow crept up into the Siddur. What is the reason for this post-Amida supplication, which is technically part of the Amida for all intents and purposes, right? Um, you're technically still in the middle of the Amida if you're reciting that paragraph, but it was added later. Why? Why okay, well, why do we add this paragraph? But why did the sages feel this need, the sages of the Talmud feel this need to add various supplications, prayers, post-Amida? The Talmudic commentaries offer two explanations. Number one, the sages didn't want to give this feeling of, okay, I'm done with the Amida, whoo! <laughs> you know, and kind of running away, you know? The Amida is a deep connection with God. On the very surface of it, it's an opportunity to ask God for our needs. Going a little bit deeper, it's an opportunity to realize whom our needs are dependent on, God. 
going even deeper as we explored each of these blessings, literally talk to our soul. Because it's at that point that we're totally uniting and bonding with God through conversation. Through what these blessings represent. And if I really experience that, then I'm not going to say, whoop, done with that Amida, let's run out of here, right? So they would take a few extra seconds and talk to God from the heart. That's one interpretation. Interpreta interpretation number two as to why the sages of the Talmud enacted this paragraph, or in some of them, their own various paragraphs, uh, post Amida. Perkeavos, the ethics of our fathers, the Mishnah teaches us. What does it teach us about prayer? One's prayer. Don't make it a routine act. Right. Shouldn't be routine. It should be a supplication. It should be, in other words, the most. Our prayer should not be consistent. <laughs> we should pray consistently, but the content of the prayer, the soul of it, the meat of it, should be inconsistent, should be different every day. And that was easy in the time of the Beis Amikdash when prayer literally was from the heart and there was no set text. But once this set text was established for all Jews in all places, now it's very easy for it to become routine. So the sages would offer their own personal prayer afterward. Ironically, this is now a set text as well and no longer a personal prayer. <laughs> um, that is a little bit of irony over there. However, just like in the Shema Koleinu blessing, if you go to the last sentence, right before that last sentence, you could actually add your own personal requests, your own personal conversation with God and pray for what you want in your own language. In the English, right before, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Or in the Hebrew, yihi, the last or, line, or second to last line, yihi you leratzon imrefi, right? Right before that line, add in your own personal supplication, your own prayer. And if you look on uh, footnote number five, maybe we'll talk about this later. Some people actually add various verses of Tehillim corresponding to the letters of their name. But let's take a step back. We've concluded the Amida. We've concluded this deep... Subjugation is a strong word, but uh, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. This deep... Bitzel, for lack of English word, this incredible Bitzel to Hashem. By praising Him, by realizing whom we're dependent on, by thanking Him, and by, like we explained last week, all that leads to peace and all that leads to love. But how do we want to finally wrap up the Amida? On a very practical level, humility. We want to leave off humbly. And that's the content, at least of the first half, of this supplication of this blessing, of this prayer. Right? God, my God, guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceitfully. Let my soul be silent to those who curse me. Let my soul be dust to all. Total humility. 
total just now why do we need to guard our tongues well one of the reasons is lush and hara speaking bad about people is too easy and too fun and both of those are a horrible combination easy and fun are horrible combinations And it's actually an arrogant thing to do. Lushan Har is an arrogant thing to do. Who am I to talk about somebody else? Where do I get the audacity to talk about other people? As if I'm the expert in people. I'm the expert in someone else's life. I'm the authority in somebody else's life. But there's a deeper insight here. Protect my lips from speaking deceitfully. One of the commentaries on the sitter explains what type of deceit are we referring to? So here's what he explains. Sometimes what you say and what you feel are not aligned. And when that's the case, how do we feel about that? We feel like fakers. We feel like we're living a life of deception. And we're recognizing, we right now at this point in prayer have the humility to recognize that perhaps I didn't dove in the Amida as best I could. Perhaps I was more familiar with the words than the message. Perhaps it was more of a behavior, a lip service, than it was an experience. Right now, we're having the humility to say to God, protect our lips from speaking deceitfully. And there's two ways to protect our lips from protecting deceitfully. Either just don't daven, right? I'm not feeling it. How could I say I love you to God? I'm not feeling it, right? So either don't say I love you, either don't daven, you know, I'm being honest, or... Somehow inspire us, God, to experience you. So our words are genuine. But to get ourselves to the point where we're ready to admit that perhaps we're less than perfect, perhaps there's parts of us that may behave disingenuously. But we have the desire to be genuine. That's humble. God, let my lips not speak deceitfully. Certainly, we don't want to speak evil, but even the good that we're saying, we don't want it to be deceitful. We want it to be genuine. We want it to be true. We want it to be... Because it's a relationship. And although there is value to our lip service, there is. We say it and don't feel it, there's value to that. Like we explored... Uh, several weeks ago in our class, by, by the mode, then just bow, go through the bow, even if you're not feeling it. There is value to that. But God, that's not the ultimate. We recognize that. We have the humility to recognize that we're less than perfect. We then carry on and say, let my soul be as dust to all. Open my heart to your Torah and let my soul eagerly pursue your commandments. Let my soul be as dust to all.
kind of a funny uh, thing to pray for. <laughs> if if you're trying to to market Judaism, you know it's funny. We we go to yeshiva and we learn a lot of Torah, and we get inspired. And I want to go out one day and share this with other people. And you think you're going out to become a rabbi and a teacher, and it turns out you're being a marketer. <laughs> because our job is not just to teach the Torah, but it, it's to get students to teach Torah too. <laughs> Which means we've got to do a good job sharing and making it clear to people how valuable this is. So imagine we have, you know, we have our Shavuos flyer, cheesecake, come to Chabad. We have our uh, sukkahs, come have pizza in the sukkah, whatever. We have a prayer class. Come learn why you should be dust. Anybody going to sign up? <laughs> anybody Anybody in? Anybody want to be dust? This is what Judaism is about, right? What a wonderful introduction to Judaism. Let my soul be as dust to all. Let me be nothing. You know the joke, the... the uh, it was this arrogant rabbi, and he says, God Almighty, I'm truly nothing before you. And his assistant rabbi says, Lord Almighty, I am too nothing in front of you. And then there's this old schlepper in the back, humble, quiet guy. And he's praying, and he says to God, I'm just nothing before you. And the rabbi says, huh, look who thinks he's a nothing. <laughs> what, 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 is, what are we praying here for? Let my soul be as dust to all. There, there is a. Um, this may sound a little funny, but God is an anomaly, which I guess that's that's kind of obvious. But, but God is different than everything else, because. Theoretically, when it comes to people or when it comes to ideas, when it comes to data, the more intelligent I am, the better I'll connect to it. Right? The better, the more, the more I'll relate to it. Whether intellectual intelligence, whether emotional intelligence, perhaps a combination. Right? We need that to connect. Those are what relationships are built on. But the irony with God is, as the Zohar describes him, there is no thought that can grasp God. In other words, if you can describe God, that is not the God you want to serve. You don't want to serve the God of your own mind. You want God to be meaningful to your mind, but you don't want to serve the God that was created by your mind. Which means my mind may help me be aware of my connection with God, but my mind certainly is not my connection with God. So where will my connection with God be expressed? The answer is humility. When I'm humble. That's where God is. We learned this in Tanya, two places, we probably several places, really. Two places come to mind is chapter 18, 
where we spoke about the Chachma of the soul. Chachma literally translated as wisdom, but Chachma literally means like this genuine openness to something that I don't particularly understand or know what it is. But I'm open. We also learned this in chapter 35 of Tanya, where we spoke about the value of action over love. Love is how I feel about God, right? how God fits in my box. How I connect to God. Whereas action is what he wants. That's humility. When we have humility, like earth, why is earth humble? Contrast earth to uh, a more attractive mineral like gold or diamonds or silver. Earth doesn't have an attractive agenda. Let my relationship with God be like earth. It's just there because it's there, not just because it's beautiful. Uh, again, don't get me wrong. Our relationship with God will and should, and God willing, it's going to be beautiful. And it should be beautiful. Our relationship with the soul should be beautiful. But the starting point is that it's there. Beautiful or not, it's there. We don't get a choice. God is there whether we like it or not. Whether we're atheists, whether we're believers, it doesn't matter. God is there. We don't get to choose. We don't believe in pro-choice. I'm opening that can of worms. I'm doing it, man. T tonight. <laughs> tonight is the third of Tammuz. Gimel Tammuz. Tonight represents the uh, 29th year from when we lost the physical presence of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And you look throughout the Rebbe's letters personal correspondence that have been published. The Rebbe talks about this a lot. That the foundation of education to children is to know that not they get to choose God, but they were chosen by God. You have a mission whether you like it or not. What One of my favorite letters, just by the way, I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think this is really important. I think this is crucial. What you see throughout the Rebbe's correspondence, what we know about the Rebbe is somebody loving, somebody that saw the best in everybody, somebody that saw the soul in everybody. But because that was the case, what you also see is somebody who is not going to let you off easy because they believe in you. And you see it in, all, in many, many of the letters of the Rebbe. The Rebbe is very straight with people, says it like it is. <laughs> there was this particular person who came from a relatively, uh, it sounds like he came from a religious background, and he was struggling with various theological questions and issues. And he had a lot of questions. And he was, it sounds like he was gravitating toward more um, heretical facets of quote-unquote Judaism. The Rebbe told him three things. Number one, 
Your questions are age-old questions. They're good questions. That's how you know they're good questions, because they're age-old, right? Your questions are good questions. They've been answered. So instead of deciding you're not going to believe because you have questions, put in the work and go get the answers. We have thousands of years of Jewish literature, of the Bible, of its commentaries, of the Talmud, of its commentaries. So you just got to do the work. The answers are there. Go search for them. Don't decide you're not doing this because you don't have an answer. The answer is there. Number two, the Rebbe told him, until you get to that point where you've found the answers, because yes, it is work in finding those answers, until you've found those answers, please know that God still needs you and you still have a mission, whether you're confused or not. <laughs> I'm confused. I don't have answers to my questions. I'm looking. And in, in the interim, until then, God still needs me. God's need for me to illuminate this world is not dependent on how much I know. I've been born whether I'm knowledgeable or not. So embrace that mission. Become more knowledgeable along the way. And number three, the Rebbe told him that when somebody's hungry, the way we calm them down is not by explaining the menu. You give them food. Then you could explain what the menu is. Then you could explain how you made it, what the recipe is. Your soul is burning. It needs to engage in mitzvahs. It needs to eat. It needs to quench its thirst. Then it could learn the recipe. Then it could understand the meaning, the beauty. You know what that is? Humble. That is real humility. It really is. It really is. That's like earth. And you know what happens when we have humility? We say, let my soul be as dust to all open my heart to your Torah. If we're humble, our hearts are now open to studying Torah. We can absorb so much. We can absorb more than we ever thought we could. One of my favorite biblical commentaries, the Kliyakar, explains... Why are we praying to be like earth? You know where we see this in the Bible? God tells Jacob, your children are going to be like the dust of the earth. They're going to spread around. You know what earth does? It helps things grow. If we're humble like earth, we experience growth. The most beautiful of flowers the most fruitful of trees, the most luscious of bushes, grow the earth. When there's earth, when we have that humility, when we have the foundation of it is here, God is here, whether we want him or not, whether we believe him or not, what we experience through that is growth. When Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets, he saw the Jews cheating on God, sinning with the golden calf. 
So what did Moses do? He said it's, according to Mel Brooks, he said it's no longer 15 commandments, it's now 10. No, I'm kidding. He, he smashed the commandments, right? He smashed the, the tablets. He then produced a second set of tablets. And the Talmud says, records this, or the Midrash records this unknown dialogue that, or mon, uh, dialogue that took place or exchange that took place between Moses and God. Where God says to Moses, Yashar kocha, asher shibarta, kochacha, asher shibarta. Good job, man. You broke those tablets. Good job. That's actually the ending of the entire Torah. Right? God basically congratulates Moses for breaking those tablets. Why? And by the way, we get the second tablets. Where were those tablets stored? In the Ark of the Covenant? Together with the broken tablets. We always remember that past. We don't let it go. Why? Why is God congratulating Moses for breaking those tablets? Why are we carrying those tablets with us? What a horrible memory. Imagine a couple get into like a, a horrible fight and they, they bring somebody something with them to remember that fight wherever they go. <laughs> Bad idea, man. Don't do it. Right, here's the answer. The second tablets led to an incredible academic growth in Judaism, led to an incredible spiritual growth in Judaism, where we were no longer righteous, we were bali teshuva, we were repentance. Our connection was much deeper. Through the humility, the humbleness of the first tablets breaking and carrying those with us and reminding, those, reminding us of that, we can constantly grow. Through being like earth, the land is, is fertile and we can grow. Another commentary what, known as the Tosvos explains that earth can never be destroyed. That's why we say, let us be like earth. You can't destroy earth. It's What are you going to do to it? You're going to burn it? You're going to smash it? What can you do? What can you do to dirt to destroy it? You can't do anything to it. When we have humility, we have resilience. I'll tell you two stories about humility, and we'll conclude. Story number one. Rabbi Akiva from the Talmud was on a fundraising trip. Like every good rabbi, he was a fundraiser. He was fundraising. And he knocks at a person's door who seemed quite wealthy. Butler answers the door. He says, I'd like to talk to the... Um, whoever lives here. Sure, let me connect you with him. The guy comes to the door. Rabbi Akiva's looking at him. He says, you look awfully familiar. <laughs> Rabbi Akiva says, don't I know you from Shul? Yeah. Aren't you that... Poor schlepper who sits in the back with all the other poor schleppers. Yeah. Why are you doing that? You live this immaculate life. You have a beautiful home. Hopefully he's going to write a nice check, right? He, um, why are you sitting in the back of the show with all the schleppers as if you were one of them? He says, because my money doesn't make me who I am. And money 
or their lack of money doesn't make them who they are. We're all human beings created in the image of God. If that money goes away, I'm still going to have the same status. Human being. If they gain more money, they're still going to have the same status. Human being. Rabbi Akiva was so inspired. Somebody with money who's humble. That is a big deal, man. Humility. But the attitude of humility is resilience. Because whether I'm wealthy, whether I'm poor, I'm created in the image of God and that doesn't go away. Story number two. There was a poor fellow. This is one of my favorite stories, by the way. This coming on. There was a poor fellow. He really hit hard times. And he went to his rabbi for a blessing. He said, I'm in need of a blessing. He had a lot of bills to pay. and a lot. The rabbi blessed him. And guess what? The blessing came to fruition. The guy became super wealthy. And again, with wealth, sometimes comes arrogance, sometimes comes stinginess. He wasn't as generous as you may think he would have been coming from the situation where he came from. And he was rejected. He was rejecting people. Somebody caught on and realized how he got to that wealth and told the rabbi, look, look, look what happened. This guy becomes wealthy based on your blessing, based on your advice. And now look at him. Stingy, arrogant guy. Rabbi shows up, knocks at the door. Butler says, the um, owner is not seeing rabbis now. The rabbi says confidently, well, there's going to have to be an exception. <laughs> um, he explains who he is. The owner starts comes right over. And he starts giving rabbi a tour of the house. Rabbi, how are you? And he starts you know, trying to butter him up and... How are you? And Rabbi says, points to the wall, to, to the wall there, and he says, What do you what is that? He says, A window. And he says, What do you see when you look at that window? Well, I see a city. I see trees. I see a street. I see people walking. And he says, Points to the other wall. What is that? And on the wall, there was a beautiful mirror. He says, a beautiful mirror. What do you see? Myself. He says, let me ask you a question. In one window, you look and you see outside. You look in the other window, the other glass, you see yourself. They're both glass. What's the difference between the two? Why through one window you see others and through one window you see yourself? He says, well, in this window, the mirror, there's a thin layer of silver. He says, exactly. All it takes is a thin layer of silver. And instead of seeing others, you see yourself. He says, God has given you money. God has blessed you. You've got to remain humble. 
you got to see other people. You got to look at other people. You got to pay attention to other people. This is what we're praying for in this prayer. Guard my tongue from evil. Let me not talk about other people badly. Let me not be a live a life of deception, deceiving others or myself. Let me be like dust to all. And open my heart to your Torah. And through that, my soul will eagerly pursue your mitzvahs. I'll be looking at other people. I'll be looking at how I can give, how I can help. Okay, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 